so I saved up all my money and I fished. I, I think I fished like 82 days straight or something when I was in Cranbrook <laughs> to learn all the water. This is Brennan Lund and you're listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, a look behind the scenes of the fly fishing world, featuring insight from guides and gear reps, conversation with resort managers, thoughts on entomology, discussions on fly patterns and destinations, and plenty of fish stories. Most importantly, it's an exploration of this lifelong journey we call fly fishing. Here is your host, Mark Hopley, with this episode of Fly Fishing 97. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hopley, and today we have Brennan Lund. Uh, Brennan, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, no problem. So Brennan is a guide at uh, St. Mary Angler out of Cranbrook, British Columbia, and also works at uh, Robinson's Outdoor Store. I spend my summers guiding in uh, Cranbrook for the St. Mary Angler. Are you still working at Robinson's? Uh, a little bit. Whenever I go back to the island, I try to put in a few shifts here and there. Nice. Nice. I kind of want to go deeper, if you know what I'm saying. I want to talk about what kind of drew you to, to fly fishing in general, like wh- why you do what you do. I guess um, we'll start from the very beginning. Like my, It was my dad who taught me how to fly fish, um, and I just really took a liking to it. And I guess after a while, like I got my own fly rod for uh, Christmas one year, and then this is when I was younger, like probably, I don't know, 12 or 13 when I got my first fly rod. And after that, like, I just really liked exploring and I'd ride my bike all up and down like the areas around Victoria and I'd be fishing. And then I guess throughout high school, got, got more into it more and more. And then once I got my driver's license, it just exploded from there. When did you know you wanted to be a guide? Um, I guess I was probably 16 or 17 because I worked the summer at the St. Mary Angler fly shop in Cranbrook because my grandparents live out there. So I was looking for a job and I ended up, my grandma suggested I get a job there at the fly shop, which totally made sense because there wasn't much for work in Victoria for somebody young to make a decent, decent money. And then my boss, Kelly, at the St. Mary Angler pretty much told me that if I buy a boat, like I could start guiding. So I saved up all my money and I fished, I, I think I fished like 82 days straight or something when I was in Cranbrook <laughs> to learn all the water. <laughs> that and sounds all right pretty much figured everything out and then yeah the next summer after that started guiding and I've been guiding ever since every summer for them well I do kind of keep up with you on uh, uh, Facebook and Instagram and it always seems like you're somewhere I'd love to be <laughs> so oh yeah I got my locations pretty well planned out like Kamloops is awesome fishing it's a little slow in the winter time um, but the island's got awesome fishing and so does out in Cranbrook so got so- pretty good locations so we're recording this pretty early in the season, and I know there's uh, people are getting pretty itchy. It's been a long winter. Um, yeah. Any ice off where you're at, or I probably on the island by now? I bet there is. Oh yeah, everywhere on the island's good to go. Um, Kamloops, I don't know. I checked some of the lower elevation lakes the other day, and it's still pretty uh, pitiful. I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, there's like probably I don't know, ten inches of ice on most of the lakes, but it's starting to rot. So I mean, if we get warm weather anytime soon, we'll be good to go shouldn't be more than two weeks for some of the lower elevation lakes which is good so let me ask you this is this the time of year you take the opportunity to do a little tying and just kind of restock the fly boxes or or what are you up to oh yeah big time doing lots of tying um lots of research lots of planning getting ready to figure out where i'll be 
fishing in the spring and getting things worked out. And then school takes up quite a bit of time in the winter as well. So I do a little more focus on that. That's, you know, that's one of the things I really, you know, 20, 30 years ago, people weren't doing the homework that's available to you now, right? You think about your researching online, anything's at, it's at your fingertips. Um, it's almost cheating almost like, um, that's why I try not to share my location a lot yeah. where I end up fishing, uh, just because it makes it a little bit too easy for everybody else. Like I totally admire that because I tell you, I used to work at a, uh, a shop called big sky sports and it, you know, you, you'd shoot the, shoot the breeze in the shop quite a bit, but you had to be careful who, who and what you said. And now with, now with the instant media, it's like, boom, it's out there and, and you got to be careful with that information. Totally. Yeah. You can, if you say one thing to the wrong person, there could be 20 people at your favorite spot the next day. So yeah, I try not to tell anybody pretty much anything. Like I've spent many hours trying to figure things out on my own. So I feel like if you're really going to reap the benefits and become a better angler, you, you really got to do that on like by yourself. So yeah, that's well said. So if, if you are out there fishing, for the most part, are you doing moving water? Uh, it sounds like you do a lot of the rivers out uh, in the Cranbrook area. Oh, yeah, I really like river fishing. But I'm getting a lot lot more into still water fishing being in Kamloops. Like, it's it's yeah. world-class still water angling out here. So I'm starting to get the hang of that and get into that a little bit more. And the fish are big. They're powerful. It's, it's awesome. So that crony box is probably getting full about now. Chronomid leeches and lots of sinking line stuff too, so nice. got a good variety, but it's awesome. Get it. Do you spend so, a lot of time on the Elk River? Or are you mostly on the St. Mary's, just kind of all over? Uh, I guide mainly on the St. Mary and the Elk. Okay. Every now and then I'll do a trip up to the Bull River, so the Bull River is beautiful. Seems to me you like to target those bull trout quite a bit. Yeah, I love bull trout fishing. Yeah, it's fantastic. The Kootenays is awesome for it. I just love their aggression and how big they can get, so... Well, I can, I can remember really, being out, out in the Kootenays there maybe, I don't know, 20 years ago. I really didn't know what I was up to. I thought I was just going to mm-hmm. try and catch some of those uh, cutties, but I went yep. into a log jam and holy man. <laughs> you see all the bull trout? <laughs> Hang on. Yeah, I never did land it, but I'll tell you, I'll never forget it. Oh yeah, they're huge. I really like fishing for them in like June and July. Yeah. Um, when the water's a little bit higher and they're feeding pretty heavy on their way to spawn. August, September, October, I really try to leave them alone. Um, then usually end of October, November, December, they really start feeding again for the winter. And you can find some really big, clean, powerful fish that are trying to fatten up for the winter. I really find what you said there so true, though. When the water's still a little colored up, still a little high, that's always your best fishing, isn't it? Oh, the aggression of the fish is insane. Yeah. Yeah, and then once it drops too low. So, I mean, what's your window of opportunity? So if, if you're taking somebody out on a guided trip uh, in the East Kootenai, um, you know, when are we starting these trips? Are we talking June? Uh, what, what's what's the target? Usually for the Kootenays, like, the water's pretty high in June. Um, so the guiding season doesn't really start till the first week of July, really. Okay. But then, like, you can cutthroat fish all the way through September, so, but I have to go back to school. So I guide July and August exclusively. Like some of the rivers in my spots for bull trout, like they peak at certain times. Like mm-hmm. I got them pretty dialed in where like, the, the fishing's really good for about a week and that's about it. So I won't even bother fishing before that up there because I know the fishing won't be worth it for the, for the guest. And then afterwards, like, you know, it's just not worth the time going up there for the guest if you want to give them the real quality experience. So kind of like time my, the place I like to, they take clients accordingly 
right. so that they get the best experience. Such a beautiful part of the country. So, I mean, so normally you're talking just outside of Fernie and then the river, does it flow south there towards the border or which way are you headed? Uh, it's like the St. Mary, there's, there's like five different stretches of the St. Mary that we guide on and then they, it flows into the Kootenai River, which flows into the States eventually. And then the Elk River is about an hour east of uh, Cranbrook. So it's yes, a bit sir. of a drive, but it's, the fishing's pretty good out that way. So if somebody wants to it's, get a hold of you um, and do a guided trip, what's the best way to do that? Through the St. Mary Angler Fly Shop. They get everything organized. Okay. And they can, you can ask for specific guides? How, how does that work? It's all up to the guests, really. Like, we cater to you, so. Is the guiding business a lot of return business, I would assume? A lot of the same, same people coming back? Lots of return, lots of return clients. And like lots of new people every year, it's good to see new faces. So, and a lot of the times the new faces turn into repeat clients. So I got to ask you this question. You get down to one fly in your box on a moving water in that part of the country uh, without giving away too many secrets. What, what would, what would you use? Oh, probably a purple haze. Okay. Little, little parachute Adams type fly. I don't know. What is it with purple, purple and black the last two, three years, man. I don't know. Out in the Kootenays, the last few years, it's been purple, purple, purple. Yeah. Like, I, you think back 15 years ago, what you're using that works so well, and now it's a totally different ballgame. Oh, yeah. Like, the fish get used to seeing it, and they'll they'll get smart to it over the summer. So, and then the next year, like, I, it almost seems like they can remember, which yep. just seems kind of dumb, but... Totally get what you're saying. So, are you, what are you, what are you tying at the bench these days? Uh, lots of purple? A uh, little bit of purple, just getting ready. I'm Right now I'm kind of focused on lake fishing still, so I'm working on chronomed. Yeah. And uh, also been, like, selling a lot of bull trout streamers. Oh. So if a people lot of people wanna, are interested in those. If people want to pick some of those up, can they can they get a hold of you online? Or? Oh, yeah. Like either email me or just shoot me a message, and I can usually hook them up. It takes a while, though, because it, they take so long to tie. Oh. i got so many people that want flies. Yeah, no, I hear you. You probably have a waiting list. You want to throw that email out there if somebody wants to get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, uh, the email is bclund1 at hotmail.com. Perfect. If they want any, interested in any flies, not just bull trout flies, they'll tie anything that anybody wants. So. That, that's one thing that's changed so much, the availability of tying materials. It's You're only limited by your imagination right now, would you say? Oh, exactly. You can tie, like, anything. It's Are, great. I, I have this bad habit of just tying one and then changing it slightly. Yep. <laughs> Always, yeah. <laughs> I, I find, like, I'll tie, like, I get pretty bored, like, in my boxes, personally. Like, I'll tie, like, probably six of the same fly, and then I'll start changing things up. Like, I don't, don't lose too many flies, typically, so I can... And then I'm always changing them because something better will always come up. Like, you'll find a... You'll, you'll be like, oh, like I should make this change to a flyer. I should do this. I should do that. Right. They change change and evolve so frequently. I'm happy to hear you say that because my buddies give me a hard time. A change flies way too often. But, you know, especially when hatches are coming off, you got to. Oh, yeah. You got to change. I can remember one day being on White Lake out in the yep. Salmon Arm area. Five, yeah, six yeah. different color crawnies. Like, went from an mm-hmm. orange one to a, to a black and red to it. It was all over the map, but you changed and you caught. And, and if you didn't, you were missing out. Exactly. Clients find it funny, actually. Like if we're, if I found like a pool on the St. Mary, for example, that has some big feeding cutthroat in it. Mm-hmm. Like I, if I, I'll tie on a fly for a client, they'll take one cast 
And it, if it gets a good drift through the run and the fish didn't eat it, I'm like, okay, bring me your fly again. And we're going to try something new. And they're like, what do you mean? Like you just tied this fly on. Like, I'm like, well, it didn't work. I'm like bring it back in. We've got to try something new. And then sure as hell you tie on the next fly and it, and it works immediately. So it's like, See, that's where you're talking fish. I call it fish memory. They, they, they've seen it before, especially high-pressure waters. Yeah, they're not dumb. They know. Yeah, smarter than we give them credit for, that's for sure. Totally. So um, I, I got to ask you this. A little segment I want to do on the show every episode is crazy fishing stories. Have you had, and we've all got them, sometimes they don't come right to mind, but anything odd happened to you on the water in the past few years? Probably the coolest not super odd, but this last season of guiding, um, I was fishing personally with just with my friends. And I remember one pool on this one river, I'm not going to name it, but, um, ended up landing. Uh, it was, I think it was like thir- a 33 inch bull trout and it was missing a pelvic fin and it had a weird sort of a uh, growth under one of its other fins. <laughs> so it was like, I could, and it was big. So like I could clearly recognize it. And then released it, whatever. And then about a week later, I was guiding clients, and we were probably four kilometers upstream from where I last caught that fish, and I had a client catch the same bull trout. That was pretty interesting how it could be the the same fish. Like, and the client was like, "No way! Like, that's not the same one." And I was like, "Hold up! Like, I'll show you photos." Like, (laughs) that's funny. I've heard other people say that too. Like, especially on lakes that see some high pressure or rivers that see, you know, quite a few angler days you get to know mm-hmm. the odd fish and you you may, I know it sounds funny, but I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh yeah. Like people say like, like people always argue like, Oh, like catch and release doesn't work, whatever. But it's like, it honestly does. If you treat the fish right, don't take them out of the water very much. Like yeah, exactly. and you just treat them while they're, they live oh, like a long, long, long time. So you get to know fish pretty personally. If they live in the same pool all summer, you caught them like six times over the summer. Like, catch and release at work i guess well that's something too that i think people have gotten wiser to is the old grip and grin it's nice to have that yeah, photo you, but mm-hmm. you can you can change things up a little bit to keep them in the water a little bit more be a little bit nicer to the fish so well judging by some of the photos of some of the trout and uh, uh fish you've been catching on- online there I, I you're doing something right <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah lots of lots of time out on the water you know that's all you can all you can really do to become a better angler is just practice 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 like that's all there is to it right get out there stay motivated keep thinking ahead yeah those are all good points and the one thing too that i really find is you never ever stop learning and that's that's the one thing i love about fly fishing is you, you, no one ever knows it all and, and that's to me that's exciting oh yeah you can't know it all it's impossible there's so much stuff you can learn, so many different places you can fish. If you think you know it all, it's like you, <laughs> you don't. Like, there's so much to know. So I got to ask you this question. That, that one day then when I ran into you, and I think it was February, I was with a buddy. and we come Oh, yeah, down, dead of winter. Yeah, and you're just trying to find some open water, right? And I, we we're on the, uh, just, just outside the Okanagan River there and come around the corner. And uh, this guy looks pretty geared up for around here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 he looks looks like he knows what he's doing. Did you catch any fish that day? Well, we ended up going downstream. Like that was on the Okanagan River. Right. I don't mind sharing spots here. I went. We went down to Okanagan Falls, and I ended up finding like a pretty big school of carp, and just pounded them. It was awesome. What do you use for carp in in the river? Well, 
these carp in particular, like they were stacked sitting on top of the sockeye reds. Right. So you could actually watch them like dig through the gravel and eat eggs. So I was just using egg patterns and being an invasive species eating salmon eggs, they all obviously did not get released, but that's carp and that's how it should be. They're not good for our rivers. So yeah, no, I, I hear you, but yeah, they encourage, put up, encourage people to keep them. They put up a great fight, don't they? Oh, they do. And they get big. So they were obvi- honestly weren't too picky in the winter in the river. They would eat eggs, stone fly nymphs, hare's ears. They'd eat almost anything if it was just rolled yeah. along the bottom right in front of their face. Well, it's, they call them freshwater bonefish from what I hear. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it was a good good time. Yeah, no, for sure. So um, what's what's next up for you? I mean, just kind of get some school done and then a um, little more time and get ready for the season? Yep. Oh, yeah, it's almost lake season, so I'm getting pretty anxious for that. Like, There's no, no more snow on the ground in Kamloops, but the, the ice is just starting to melt, so... Lakes so are, are next. Are you guiding, Brennan, on uh, on Stillwater also? No, just in the summer out in the Kootenays. Yeah, okay, fair enough. And uh, no. you're obviously in uh, a good part of the world there, Kamloops. There's so many opportunities. Oh, yeah, there's hundreds of lakes to choose from, so it never gets old. Exactly. Do you get out uh, south between there and Hope much, or is it mostly north of Kamloops? Oh, yeah, I go down to Merritt a little bit too and fish yeah. around there. Yeah. There's good lakes everywhere. Like every lake, every lake in Kamloops pretty, or in the area pretty much has the potential to produce like rainbows over five or six pounds. So if you fish hard enough anywhere, there's, there's big fish all over the place. Are you from the island originally? I thought I saw somewhere yeah, from Edmonton. I was born in Edmonton, but I moved to the island when I was like six months old. So oh, it doesn't yeah. even count. Right. So, so what's your uh, fishing opportunities on the island? You're doing a lot of rivers down there, steelhead. What, what's your game? Oh yeah, I do a lot of lots of steelheading on like a lot of the west coast and east coast rivers, and then spend a lot of time on the couch and fishing for trout. It's a good time. There's lots of big fish in there. There's browns in there too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. big browns. They're a little bit smarter, so if you really you really got to learn them through and through if you want to find the big fish. Is that a river you can walk and wade, or you pretty much need a boat? I prefer walking wading actually. Okay. A lot of the brown trout kind of. I don't know. They live in places that are kind of outside the box, right? especially the big ones. They tuck themselves into little weird corners, and you honestly drift right past them if you're floating the river. So they get in those little cut banks? Yep, cut banks, side channels. If you're walking, waiting, you can just kind of stop and think for a minute and pick really pick your spots. You can find them. Has it taken a, a lifetime to so far to, to learn to read moving water? Well, I think... In the couch and in particular, like when I was in grade 12 and I got my driver's license, I'm pretty sure I spent like 40 or 50 days on the couch and like I was there every weekend and got it pretty, pretty dialed in, but it definitely takes time. Like you can't really expect if you fish five times a year, you can't really expect to be extremely successful versus somebody fishes like 250 days a year kind of thing. Well, you know, it's you really got to put in the time. I had this conversation with somebody the other day because uh, same idea. I've been looking for the stonefly hatch on a certain river that we like to frequent, and I've seen it once in 15 years. I always see the yep. casings, but I mean, there's a lot of luck involved in that timing, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say? Oh yeah, tons of luck. Sometimes they only hatch like stoneflies in particular too. Like even on the Thompson River, they hatch during weather changes and stuff like that. So, hmm. like I remember, I fished the Thompson in September. 
And I had a friend tell me too, he's like, you see all the casings everywhere, but he's never actually seen the adult stoneflies. <laughs> and they, the day we happened to fish it, a thunderstorm rolled through and there's a huge shift in barometric pressure and it triggered a huge stonefly hatch. That's interesting. And the fishing was, the fishing was just on fire that day. So any time of day better for that hatch in your opinion? Uh, in the Kootenays, it happened, and it always happens in June or early July once the water temperatures warm up a little bit to the to a certain degree. Right, and I, the hatch will always follow its way upriver, so it always starts at the mouth first, and then as the water warms up, like the mouth of the river will always be the warmest compared to the headwaters. So the hatch may start end of June at the mouth of the St. Mary, and then by I don't know end of the first week of July, the hatch has hit the upper St. Marys. So. It totally depends. So you just kind but, of base probably where you are in the river as to what's happening, water temperature, and you can you can follow hatches that way, right? Exactly. And, like, I don't think I even hit the hatch this year. Like, I was always, like, on the wrong stretch of river. Like, I'd get a text from a buddy, and he's like, oh, man, it's lighting up up here, you know, because he, ha- he managed to hit the hatch on the one pool it was happening on for whatever reason, and I just wasn't there. Do but you ever see any good sulfur-done hatches out there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes. Usually yeah. it's sort of August, they sort of start hatching. And then lots of bluing olives, okay. pale morning duns around August as well. That's Fantastic. Sorry, that's what I was thinking, pale morning dun. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, I've seen some nice hatches. Early in the morning, though, seems like. Yep, early morning. Often, like, they're feeding on midges, too, pretty early in the morning. And then switching over to mayflies and caddis in the afternoon. So if you can match, match the midge and fish, like, size 20s and 18s in the morning, you can be pretty successful. So that in that part of the world, are you basically, if you're dry fly fishing, you're pretty much targeting the cutties, or uh, are you streamers for the bull trout? How does the guy yep. approach it? Yeah, streamers for bull trout and dry flies for cutthroat. Right. That's pretty much the pretty much the way of the road for there. And those 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 cutthroat get pretty big. Some of them can. Um, I don't know. I started measuring all the cutthroat I caught this year. You hear a lot of people exaggerating with the West Slope cutties. Like you'll p- hear people be like, "Oh yeah, I got a 24 incher today, whatever." But like, if you me- start measuring them, like they're actually way smaller than people think they are. Yeah, no, like, I, I hear a, you. A lot of the guides exaggerate. Like you, I'll hear like, "Oh yeah, I got like a couple 22 inches or whatever." But like all of days, where like I'll measure all the fish and like the biggest is like 17 inches, for example, right? The biggest cutthroat I've ever seen in my life was 22 and a half inches. And that was like on the tape measure measured, right? Like and I've got like hundreds and hundreds of big cutthroat. <laughs> like that's a you don't thing. really start to see the true size until you start putting the tape measure to them. Oh, I find that on lakes too. I mean, uh, there's only one or two people I truly trust when they tell me their fish size. <laughs> you know, oh yeah. Like, if I, I get a big one, it, it always gets measured. Well, and somebody says a five pound rainbow in, uh, in a still water, an honest five pound rainbow is a big fish. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're huge. So uh, I mean, we're fortunate too to have those uh, panas strain up in your neck of the woods. They like to get a little airborne too, don't they? Oh, panas are awesome. They're probably my favorite strain of rainbow. Yeah. What you fish for black waters too, or? Yep, and the and the Fraser Valleys. Fraser but Valleys. I really like the Panasque just what? for for their their strength. Is is entomology something that you have a a great deal of time for? I assume it would be. Oh yeah, totally. I actually. I took an entomology class in the fall for school and I ended up having to do an insect collection. So I have a huge plethora of aquatic insects and alcohol and vials that I can 
base my tying from. So it's pretty cool. You know what I'm so impressed by? I think I'm into something, and then I talk to someone like you, and I realize I don't know much. There's so there's so much to do. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And if you can fit that, I mean, let's face it, you probably don't feel like you're working when you're out there doing that. Oh no, I'm I'm always working, taking notes, taking photos. Just no, but what I mean, Brendan, it doesn't feel like work. I mean, you're doing something you love oh, no. to do, right? Exactly. Like when I'm guiding, like it doesn't feel like work. I'm just having a good time. What uh, what kind of stick are you casting these days? Oh, I guess for rivers, it almost depends. If I'm fishing steelhead, it's just uh, spay fishing, like on the swing. I'll fish. I have like a Loop Evotech cast medium that I've been steelheading with. It's mm-hmm. like a slower action rod. It's a 12, 12 foot, two inch, seven weight. Can really like can heavy enough you can muscle and fish, but it's light enough that you still have a fun time casting it. The slower action really helps you get dial in your cast as well. And then do a lot of check style nymphing with the ten foot three weight. Mm-hmm. And then when I fish streamers like for bull trout or brown trout on the couch, and I fish a nine foot eight weight. And you really don't need an eight weight for bull trout or brown trout, but I fish a lot of really really big flies, so you just need the rod to cast them pretty much. Well, I would imagine, I mean, the one thing I run into, a lot of people seem to fish lighter than they should, and especially with the wind we see, right? Mm-hmm, totally, yeah. Like, I'll, I've, I, really, like, quite often will fish an eight weight when I'm fishing streamers just because it's way easier to cast. Same and approach then, on bull trout? Oh, yeah, eight weight all the way. And then for, for dry fly, I fish a nine foot four weight. I like a four weight, a little bit lighter, just so you can fish lighter tippet and protect your light tippet on hook sets. Okay. And then what about your still water cronies, a little longer? 10 foot, six weight, yeah. all day, every day. <laughs> I'm all over yeah, that. That's the go-to. You can, six weight's big enough. You can, like I landed rainbow trout over 10 pounds on the six weight, and then it's still pretty fun for the smaller fish. Like they put up a good scrap, so. So are you fishing uh, floating lines mostly with indicators? Uh, lots of sinking line, actually. Okay. Tons of sinking line presentation. I prefer it more than indicator fishing. It's a lot more fun. So just cast, let her come right down and bring it up slowly? Uh, it depends. Like I'll, I have, like I think, five different sinking lines that I can choose through to run through different densities and depths to mm-hmm. figure out where the fish are feeding at. Um, and then either, yeah, switch it up, slow retrieve, like figure eight hand twist, or like often really fast retrieves, too. But. I'll often start out on a lake if I'm fishing sinking lines with like a type five or a type seven line, like a really fast sinking line. Right. And that like if I happen to be hooking fish at the very beginning of my retrieve or the very end, I know my fly actually isn't that deep. And if that's where I'm consistently hooking fish, then I'll switch up to like an intermediate or a type three line. But right. if I'm hooking fish at the middle of my retrieve, I know my fly is at the deepest. So then I'll switch to like a type seven or like the heaviest one I have, for example, to be in the zone. But if you start the other way, like let's say you start with an intermediate line, right? what happens if the fish are feeding deep? You have no idea until you've cycled through all your fly lines. So it's always best to start heavy. So do you, you, is a fish finder uh, critical in your, uh, your rig? I actually don't even own a fish finder. To be completely (laughs) honest. Really? Dead serious. Wow. I got, I, I don't know. I use my like my anchors to mark my depth. Like I'll have ten foot increments on my anchor ropes to figure out how deep the water is I'm fishing. And then when I'm like marking my indicator, for example, so I'm like a foot or whatever off the bottom, I'll just like attach my hemostats to my chromed right. and then chuck it out there and uh, see where my indicator ends up to adjust my depth. 
Yeah, that sounds. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of guys been doing that a lot of years. It works. I just, I mean, I'm curious that you say you don't use the fish finder. So, I mean, what about water temperature? You just got a thermometer for that, or you don't? Is that not something you're yep. really looking at? Yeah. No, the water temperature is super key, but I use a thermometer for that. Well, it's nice to talk to the guys in the know, I'll tell you, because there's a few things I want to try this year just after chatting with you. I mean, maybe one day I'll get a fish finder. It definitely does, would make life easier, but I feel like you learn the water a little bit better if you don't have one. No, I, I think you're right. That's that, because I'm guilty of that. So I just turn it on and then I start looking at the finder, not the water. Mm-hmm. Exactly, right? You don't really think about things as much. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me, actually. Because, yeah, I mean, you're, you know I, how you're following the shoals for the most part, or, or you're anchored just off a shoal. If you're not looking mm-hmm. at, you know, and especially if you're anchored, you're not moving anyway, right? So Exactly. Yeah. I, and it's, like, pretty key, too, like, just because you're marking fish or whatever doesn't mean they're feeding fish. So, That's a good point. Yeah, like, I've noticed sometimes, like, um, I think the most, the biggest thing, where it became apparent was to me was on Jocko Lake two years ago <laughs> and yeah. the coronamid were hatching in like a 10 foot by 10 foot square area. Like, and that's the only place in the bay where they were hatching was this tiny little corner. And if your indicator was in that area, yeah. you caught a fish every cast. And if it wasn't, you didn't catch fish. Like I, think that I, know was the, the, I think I know the bay you're talking about. Oh yeah. Like that was the spot where they were feeding. And if your fly wasn't there, you didn't catch them. And it was as simple as that. But like those little observations like that, where you could just notice the cronmet on the surface in that tiny area, and they would be nowhere else on the lake. Funny story. We're in that same bay, I believe, that you're talking about. And uh, we weren't doing much business, but they were feeding. And we went to one of those, uh, is it a Dragon Lake crony? Yep. Brown, basically silver rib. And I'm telling you, when you say every cast, you're not kidding. Oh, no, it's it's ridiculous in there. Yeah, I think a lot of the things too for lakes around Kamloops is I look at the stocking reports pretty pretty regularly, and if I'm trying to find a new lake to go to, I'll often look for lakes that they don't stock with that many fish, because mm-hmm. then typ- typically they reach bigger sizes. Absolutely. Whereas like Jacko Lake, for example, I think in the last five years they've put something like fifty two thousand rainbow trout in that lake. Sure. It's way too many, so their 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 size gets stunted, right? Like they don't get over like sixteen inches or so. And, in some cases, whereas when they used to only stock it with. Well, there's a lot of like, timing involved there, right? And it's cycles too, right? Totally. Like some, some lakes have a peak every few years and then they die off for a bit and then they come back. Like it totally depends. Yeah. No, that's, uh, we spend a, quite a bit of time up in, in the Kamloops area and there's just so many spots. And, um, you know what I really realized? I went to, uh, the fly fishing show this year down, down stateside. Is that, have you ever been to that show? And where? Uh, well, they have it in Seattle, uh, Linwood area. There's uh, also Denver. It moves around. There's there's a few shows throughout. But no, I haven't been. Well, it was interesting talking with some of the guys down there about fishing still water. I think yep. what's going on in Kamloops is some pretty cutting edge stuff. I really do. Oh yeah, a lot of the stuff in Kamloops is like kind of next level. Like we have some of the best lakes probably in the pro- or probably in all of Canada to fish, and I mean. There's a lot of pioneers out this way who have done a lot of experimenting and have figured things out like down to the science. Yeah, like the Brian Chans of the world. And yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. There's some legends, and that's probably a good reason why they had the World Fly Fishing Championships. I remember going up to watch that, and I think it was '92. Oh yeah, competitive fly fishing is awesome. Like I've done it for like probably four or five years now. Uh huh. And I've learned so much, and I've met some really cool people through it. You find there's lo- really, lots to learn from the Europeans, too, I bet. Anything that you see from Europe 
is like like no joke 10 years ahead of Canada. If you if you see something like in that a European is doing, like they're they're 10 years ahead of us. So when you like just... a lot of my fly tying is influenced from Europe because they're so much ahead of us. Yeah. A lot of like a lot I like a lot of the European materials and European hooks. Like they're all way way more advanced, super effective. Why oh, yeah. is it that we want to be on our own out there? As much as you want to have company, you, you want mm-hmm. your space. Yeah, totally. I think it's because like we live our live our lives with people every day. So it's like the reason why you go out there to fish is to be alone. Yeah. And like I don't want to like I obviously love sharing the joy of fishing with other people, like a few select individuals, like my friend, my girlfriend, or whatever. But then I don't really want to be seeing the whole town out there either. No, I, I totally I totally get what you're saying. And that, and you know, if you do your homework, and let's face it, you're not going to hit all the lakes in this province in a lifetime, probably either. Exactly. So. That's great. Well, hey, man, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. If people wanted to get in touch with the St. Mary Angler, just Google St. Mary Angler, and it would be the first thing that comes up, and everything is there. Highly recommend it. Thanks for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or a topic you would like to hear on the show. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.